Hey there, it's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have a super quick, exciting announcement to share with all of you. For the first time on Time for Coffee, we have a free giveaway to offer you. In honor of the season of giving that we're all immersed in right now, I am so excited to tell you that Time for Coffee has 50 global giving gift cards with $25 already loaded on them to give out to Java junkies between now and Christmas. In case you're not familiar with global giving, it's the largest global crowdfunding community connecting nonprofits, donors, and companies in nearly every country around the world. These gift cards will make wonderful stocking stuffers or thank you gifts or secret Santa presents to give your colleagues or your professors or guidance counselors, your mentors, your mailman, you get the idea. Even that cute guy or girl you want to get to know better but don't want to give them something romantic, at least not yet. The way these gift cards work is that you can redeem them by going on to the Global Giving website and picking any of the hundreds of different amazing projects Global Giving is featuring in countries around the world. Then your $25 gift card can be used to support any of these projects. And the gift card is non-denominational with a super festive holiday vibe. And all you have to do to win one of these electronic gift cards is to email me at andrea at time the number four coffee.org. That's Andrea at time the number four coffee.org. Just say, hey, I'd love a global giving gift card. And the first 50 people to hit me up for one of these gift cards will get it in their email box on Monday, December 17th, giving you plenty of time to figure out who you want to give it to. Thanks so much, everybody. Happy holidays and enjoy the show. Hi there. I'm Andrea Koppel and it's time for coffee the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so glad you press play. And today, my guest is a graphic designer who reinvented the Global Giving brand. But before I introduce you to Acacia Betancourt, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that honestly could use a heck of a lot of Acacia's talents to make it more appealing. But the content is what it's all about, folks, right? You're not going there because of the beautiful graphics. It's the substance. When you get to the homepage at time, the number four coffee.org, you'll see the sign up box right there. Just put in your email address and your name and it's all there. It's super easy and you will get the Java Junkie Journal delivered to you bright and early on Monday morning. Now grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Acacia Betancourt, a senior graphic and UX designer at Global Giving. Over the last decade since she graduated from college, Acacia has worked as the head of an art program, a video producer, editor, and designer, and a graphic designer for a variety of brands and companies. Acacia, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? 
Hi, Andrea. I am. Thanks so much for having me. Such a generous introduction. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so lovely to have you on the show. I am so interested to learn more about what you do at Global Giving. Can you talk a little bit right out of the gate about what your responsibilities are as a senior graphic and UI and UX designer and perhaps even what those mean? I do all visual things at Global Giving. I have been there about four years. And when I started, Global Giving needed an entirely new, what we call a brand refresh. So it needed an updated logo. It needed to sort of look like it was here and now. And that also included the website. And part of my responsibility was managing and revamping the entire Global Giving brand, everything from the logo to the fonts to the colors our style guide, all of that, and also helping to improve the user experience or UX and user interface of our website. Okay. And so can you take us into a typical day? What are you doing? I mean, whether you want to go back to when you did the brand refresh or now since it's been done, but what are your days like at Global Giving as a senior graphic designer? Well, most designers have clients. So they work at an agency with a bunch of different clients who all vary and do different things. And Global Giving, I'm considered an in-house designer, which means that all of my projects are internal and are benefiting Global Giving only. So any given day, there's a range of projects I could be working on. Sometimes it's one project for the entire day. Typically for user experience, I may be solving something like how to make our checkout process better or adding pages, consolidating content, working on everything from what one little button should look like to what entire layouts or what we all flows of pages should look like. So my time right now is split about 70-30. So user experience being 70% of it and sort of incrementally or iteratively improving our website. And then the other 30 is stuff like doing anything our brand needs. So making swag or brochures or printed materials for conferences, things like that. So my typical day is generally nine to five. We see, you know, when I've gotten my coffee and when I stroll into the office. Um, And then I generally leave by five or 5.30. And during that time, I try to get big chunks of time. And for a designer, I think that's very important to sort of get in the zone and focus on one thing. And sometimes I'm focusing on, you know, one thing for an entire day. And then other days, you know, I have more meetings and more smaller projects that need to get done. So Keisha, you mentioned the user experience. And I actually, in the last year, got a little window into this world because I worked with a web designer to build the Time for Coffee website. I had never done something like that before. And I know that my web designer knows how to do the back end coding. Is that Mm -hmm. something that you do as well? Absolutely not. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, there's been a debate in the design world for a very long time, particularly the last five years or so, on whether or not designers need to know how to code. 
And it used to be that people were looking for a unicorn, meaning that they could do both. They could do both code and do the visual side. And more and more, it sort of become that you don't necessarily need to code as a designer. You know, I think employers now want you to sort of focus on one thing and be really good at it. But I've found that it's extremely helpful in user experience design and web design to speak developer, right? So developers are the ones building the sites. So if you understand the limitations of code, what certain things mean, how it works in a general sense, and how to ask developers for what you need and and articulate your ideas through code, the more you can do that, the better. But you don't necessarily need to do it yourself. Gotcha. So you work in partnership with somebody who has the coding background. Is that person also at Global Giving? Yes. Yeah. We actually have several people at Global Giving who are a mix of front end developers who are doing sort of building what we as users interact with. So literally the things that we see on the site and how those work. And then back end developers who are doing all of the magic in the background to make a website actually function. Okay. Thanks for that. Now, I know, Acacia, that you have worked as a designer for the last decade, both as a consultant, as a freelancer, and as part of a team inside different organizations like Global Giving. Can you talk to us about what the upsides are, what the downsides are of those two different types of professional options? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So like I said, my position at Global Giving is considered an in-house designer position. So the two options are sort of, you know, you either work for essentially one big client and get to go really deep into projects for them, like I do at Global Giving, or you have several clients at once. And I think that both have their challenges, but both are fun. I think for the in-house side, it's very difficult to stay fresh. You know, I've been at Global Giving for four years. It's hard having fresh ideas. I look at the same same logo in the same colors all day, every day in the same site. And so it's it gets very hard to see it for what it is. And I no longer have fresh eyes on it. So I would say that's one of the bigger challenges of being in-house. And on the client side, when you're doing client work, there tend to be more restraints and restrictions. And you have to think a lot more about deadlines and sort of managing your time and budget because external clients are relying on you and have certain expectations. Yeah. And what about being a designer as a career path, how do you think it's different from other careers? I'm very biased, but I think it's way more fun than other careers. It's much more flexible. You know, designers are constantly learning and this space is always shifting. I think I've always been a designer and that's all I have experience in, but I get the sense that in other jobs can be more or less the same or there are sort of standards and seems more restricted and design feels more fluid where I do a lot of branding and print, but through experience, I've sort of learned the user experience side. I have a little bit of animation and video editing experience. So I think there's a lot of areas of design to grow into and it's a very fluid transition between those. I think it's a super, super fun field to be in and it's very exciting because it's always changing and evolving and, and it's fun. You know, from listening to you, Acacia, it sounds to me as if, and please correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm going out uh-huh. on a limb here, but it <laughs> sounds as if the design field is one in which there's an expectation that 
that you are going to be learning a lot on the job, that you are in fact going to be required to supplement your basic knowledge with additional maybe online videos, online courses to stretch and and grow and build up new muscles as you develop your design kind of portfolio. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And there is no such thing as knowing everything about design. I think in particular, the software itself is always growing and changing. And by software, I mean really like what we call the Adobe Creative Suite, um, which is most commonly Adobe Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator, those types of programs. On the user experience side, Sketch is the most popular program at the moment that we we use on all of our projects. So those programs, programs are so deep that sometimes I need to look up how to do something because I haven't done it in a while and I can't remember. And so I'm constantly, I would say almost on a daily basis, looking up YouTube tutorials, getting other designers perspectives on it, trying to read as many blogs and as many articles as I can about the changing, evolving standards for things and trends in design. And there's, I think one of the fun parts about being a designer actually is that there's just this like beautiful churn that's always happening in design. There's always the envelopes always being pushed. And so professional development and keeping up on your skills and continually learning is inherent in being a designer. You have to. At the beginning of my career, I said, I'm going to be a branding and print designer and I really have no interest in web design. And that's just not the way the world works now. The jobs and the focus of design in a lot of ways is, is digital now. And so I had to grow and change with it. And I had to learn that as I went. Mm. You know, we touched on this a little bit in the espresso shots, and this episode will be running before the espresso shots. So, Acacia, could you please share with Java Junkies what you wish you knew before you started your career as a designer about a decade ago? Well, I wish I had built some more skills earlier on. I think even 10 years in, I still have a sense of faking it till I make it. And maybe that will never go away, which is fine and keeps me on my toes. I think I wish I had known not to go too fast, to sit and build my skills and really figure out what direction I wanted to go. One of the things that I always say about design that is sort of distinct from other professions is that I wish my mentors and my professors had told me not to move up the ladder too quickly. And not that I have, but I think that we're told as just a blanket statement, you know, you're supposed to be leveling up and getting promoted and getting to manager positions. And the longer you work somewhere, the higher you should move up. And for designers, I think it's important to stay in that skill building in the trenches stage as long as possible to really build robust skills where you have the time and space where you're maybe not managing somebody or you're not worried about too much at the management level so that you can really build your skills there. And it's true that just like the higher up you get in design, the less you're doing your actual craft. So as a designer, I just want to be sitting with my headphones in, solving problems and in the details 
themselves in the weeds all day, every day. And so I wish I had known that that stage is okay and that I don't need to be necessarily pushing for higher and higher levels early on. That is such great insight. And honestly, in my own professional development, Mm -hmm. I could say the same thing in at least one of the jobs that I've had. In particular, right after I left being a journalist for 20 years, moved into a profession that I knew nothing about, which was public relations. I, in hindsight now, believe I was hired at too senior of a level. Mm -hmm. And as a result, didn't know a lot of the functionalities of the positions that the people who were reporting to me were doing. So as their manager, I wasn't really able to mentor them the way that I would have liked to. And now I tell people who are leaving at a senior level from the field of journalism, don't be too concerned with getting the big title. Yeah, yep, go definitely. for that lower position, learn the functionalities, learn the process, and then go for the bigger job. But I think that is fantastic insight, Acacia. You mentioned that there were some skills that you didn't have and wish you had at the beginning of your career. Do you remember what those skills were? I don't want to date myself. I'm not that old. But when I was in college, web design was not as big as it is now. So in my graphic design program in school, we did not learn that much web design. And so it wasn't until four or five years later when I really, really needed the web design side of things and had to learn quickly and as I went. And so I was just kind of making it up as I went along because my program didn't really have robust web design program. So I wish I had known those skills a little bit more solidly early on. I wish I had a little bit more coding experience That was never really required of me on a job, but I think it could help me now in in my personal and professional development to know a little bit of code. The other thing is animation is very big right now. And I think in terms of where I'm at in my career now, I would love to learn more of that. Great. That's so helpful. Acacia, for those young people who are still in school right now, what are the software and other skills that hiring managers like you are looking for in filling out the creative positions on their teams? Yes, I love this question because this is very important. And I get this a lot. I've actually talked to a lot of junior level or just starting out designers in the past year or so. And the advice I always give them is the same, which is to just do it, be thinking about design and to be actually making it as much as possible. So I would say that the main software that you must use at any job with designer title in it is the Adobe Suite, which is Photoshop, Adobe Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. Those hands down across the board, no matter what you're doing, and even if you're not in a design job, honestly, you may need. So getting familiarized with those programs is a great first step at the very least. There's a program called Sketch now, which is pretty broadly used for web design and user experience, although not everybody uses it, but it's the most popular. And that is also definitely worth learning. The other few things I would say is a good way to learn those those programs and get comfortable with them while simultaneously building your actual design skills is to copy design. Literally look on Pinterest or a site called Dribble, which is for designers or even on Google Images and find design that you really like, that you respond to and copy it. 
you know, pull it into Photoshop and see how it was made. Deconstruct it and see if you can make it. You can recreate those effects or you can lay out the type in a certain way. And then that'll help you really build your skills. So I think that's super important and it's something I like to recommend to designers who are just starting out. And you had mentioned just a moment ago how important and how it wasn't important when you were in college. Animation is now. That sounds like something they should be studying as well in school. Yeah. And it's sort of a hard thing to learn. You have to think in a very specific way for animation that's sort of akin to video editing in a way, sort of video editing meets illustration. And so I would say the software is a little bit harder to learn and the way that you have to think about animation is a little bit harder, but I wish I'd started my animation skills a bit sooner. Mm, Yeah. So Acacia, what do you think is the best way for those young people who want to break into this industry to start building their portfolios? And are portfolios even important in their job search? Portfolios are everything. So I always get a bit jealous of other people who are not in creative fields because they essentially just need a cover letter and resume to apply to jobs. Anybody hiring a designer cares much less about their resume and way more about their actual portfolio. So it is crucial to getting a job. And in fact, I may even say that you may not even get a job if you don't have one in design. So there are so many good ways to build your portfolio. Like I say, at least starting out with some real projects. So start with copying other people's work and then develop your own style from there. Maybe you have an idea for how you would build an app that you use every day or a logo that you use every day that set, you know, maybe you have an idea for that in your head. You can make what's essentially fake projects, but just trying to build your skills and building your body of work in a way that you can package it and make it your portfolio is very important. (laughs) All designers are very familiar with getting asked to do work from your friends or your family or, you know, oh, everybody needs graphic design in some way. So there's no shortage of work for us. But especially when you're starting out, don't be afraid to just say that you'll do it. Say say that you'll take that challenge. Maybe you won't get paid for it or maybe you won't get much, but it'll help you build a variety of work and a range of work and will help you problem solve and build your portfolio as you go. Regarding that range of work, Acacia, if someone Mm -hmm. is applying for one of those entry-level graphic designing positions, the kind that we were talking about in the espresso shots, what are the must-have examples of work that they need in that portfolio? This has also changed over the years, sort of the standard of what creative directors and hiring managers for design positions are looking for. At the moment, the focus is really on sort of showing your work, right? So like when you're in school and you do math homework or whatever, if you just write the answer, then that's usually not enough. They want to see your thinking. So design is largely the same way. So particularly when it comes to user experience, just showing the final product, yeah, it totally needs to be presented well. But if you can really articulate your thought behind it, why you made the decisions you did, what inspiration you pulled from, what problem you were trying to solve, who the audience is, and really show that you're thoughtful about the entire thing, not just that you can physically make it, that is what's going to differentiate you 
by a long shot. So portfolios now, it's less about showing everything you've ever done because I can tell you that everything I have ever done is not good and I don't want a lot of it in my portfolio. It's about showing the kinds of work you want to do more of. So that's critical and that's advice that I've gotten that I want to pass on. I'm showing illustration work I may have done, but I'm not really an illustrator. So I don't need to show that necessarily because I want to go a different direction than that. So I would show more of this stuff that and really focus more my portfolio pieces on the things that I'm excited about and the things that I would ideally like to do in this next job that I'm trying to get. Fantastic. That is such great advice. What about for those young people who have already graduated but aren't landing the jobs they want? Is there a way, Acacia, that they can take their resumes, their portfolios to the next level? Are there online courses or tutorials that you're aware of that they could take to maybe give them the edge they need in this job market? Yeah, there are a lot of sites that I can't remember the name of it now, but there are sites that compile intern portfolios or other graphic designers portfolios that can be really, really helpful to just see what other people are doing. And if you know somebody got a really good job, ask them, can I see your portfolio? Like, how did you do this? And really, really pay attention to your resume and realize that Anybody looking at this that's going to hire a designer is likely a designer themselves has some visual background. So make sure that it looks extremely consistent, that it's clear that you went through it with a fine tooth comb and paid attention to all the little details. All of the capitalization is the same. The spacing is all consistent. Everything is lined up well. There are no typos. All the formatting is very tight because I myself have been in interviews where people have picked apart the typography of my resume. And it is something that designers need to be much more conscious of than maybe people in other professions. So Acacia, I want to flash back to when you were an undergrad at the University of Arizona and you got your BFA in visual communications and graphic design. Mm -hmm. I think I know the answer to this question, but did you know exactly what you were going to do with your degree when you graduated? (laughs) Does anyone? I did not. So I actually started out as an architecture major my first semester or two and realized it was a little too detail oriented for me. And I wanted something a little bit more creative and broad and something that I could start now. So I switched to design and portfolioed into the program. And then I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after school, but I knew definitively that I always wanted to do design. So I moved to San Diego with no job and no job prospects and just applied to everything I could find. So at that stage in my career, it was really about cold calling and getting informational interviews and just seeing what was out there and just interviewing and getting the practice of interviewing down before I got my first job out of school. And so how did you get that first job? Well, I had cold called them and this is a job in San Diego I had for about two years. It was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. It was super fun. So we basically had different clients around North America that did all of the stuff you see in gift shops at zoos, at museums, all of the branded materials for science centers and aquariums, things like that. And I got a job doing that. I had contacted them and they needed a designer on a contract basis. So I essentially had a full-time job, but I was billing them 
hourly. So it was really at that point, a matter of volume. I got that job because I had applied to so many things. I was very on top of it in terms of writing my cover letters and writing follow-up emails. And it just took time. Job hunting is something no one likes to do. But if you stay organized about it and stay persistent, you can definitely make it happen. Well, it sounds like you did all of the above and kudos to you. I have your resume here and I'm just looking. It sounds super fun. You were working, making retail collateral and designing brand for the museum, for an aquarium, for the Phoenix Zoo, the Harry Potter exhibition. It sounds like it was a really fun place to work. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I got to do some fun, fun stuff and making a lot of stuff for kids and t-shirts with penguins on it and really a fun, fun job. Acacia, while you were at the University of Arizona, were there any extracurricular activities that you were involved in, like clubs, volunteer work, may have been a paid job or sororities, sports teams, things that you participated in that in hindsight, you think actually may have been helping give you an edge when you started out in the job market because you had been honing different skills while you were having fun outside of the classroom. The first is I got an internship at University of Arizona that was sort of an in-house design studio for the university. So anybody at the university, if they needed something graphic design, they could go to the studio and get one of the student interns to design it. So it was an unpaid internship, but it was essentially client work. What I was doing there does not materially look different than what I do now, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So I had that internship for two or three semesters. The entire time I was in school, I also worked for Black Sheep Filmworks, which is in Tucson, Arizona. And I was doing video editing and shooting and doing the video production and graphic design for Black Sheep for many years all throughout my undergrad. And now I definitely think my video editing experience and skill has come into play in my jobs and has given me an edge potentially over other candidates. One of the other things that I was doing during undergrad that I think has informed my career in some ways is I worked at a summer camp in rural Ontario, Canada called Camp Manitou for six six or seven summers and led the art program there. So that was really where I got to build my hard skills, my painting skills, my drawing skills. And really that's where I found my love for teaching design is with the kids there at camp. Fantastic. That sounds like a lot of fun too. Acacia, I try to ask all time for coffee guests this question, and that is, if you could share a moment, a period in your professional life when you struggled, some of us have had challenging colleagues, jerks for a boss or supervisor, or in my case, I was fired twice in my 40s. Have you had an experience that you could share with the Time for Coffee listeners in which you struggled? And most importantly, how you persevered and maybe a lesson that you learned in the process? I love this question. I think this is a very important question to reflect on for for everybody, really. The thing that comes to mind is before I was fortunate enough to get my job at Global Giving, where I walk and bike to work, the previous several jobs, I had very, very long commutes in thick DC traffic. And it would not be unusual for it to take me an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minutes to get home. And it was not fun. And I had realized it sort of 
driving that much and having that long of a commute was taking a physical toll. It was affecting my social life. It was affecting how much I could concentrate at work. Incidentally, it's also when I started drinking the most coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I believe it. (laughs) But I really, really struggled with the commute. And what came of that was I sort of said to myself, well, I have to do it. I have to go to work and I have to live where I live. So the commute is not going to change, but maybe my attitude about it can. So I started small and started listening to stand-up comedy on my commute to and from work to lighten the mood a little bit and help me look forward to my commute. But then I also started what I call my sort of morning gratefulness practice, which instead of sitting and cursing to myself in my car and squeezing my steering wheel and being so frustrated with the traffic and getting to work stressed out, I would talk to myself while I was in the car. I probably looked silly, but who cares? And thought about what I was grateful for. And even if it was teeny tiny little things, could be anything, or just thinking about the fact that I was grateful my family was all safe and that I had a car that was working and all that stuff. So I really did a big attitude shift that got me through that really hard few years where my commute was bad. And that's serves me now. You know, I think that that's not necessarily something that happened at work, but I think it's also something you really have to consider when you take a job. A job can sound super exciting, but I like to think about okay, am I going to like this on a day-to-day basis? When I have to do this five days a week for, you know, probably a few years, if not more, then am I going to like it? Is it going to be a work-life balance that I want? Is it going to fit my lifestyle? Is my commute something that is manageable for me? I think that's a huge factor when deciding not only where you take a job, but also kind of what career you want to do. Is it something that you want to do day in and day out? And just taking those kinds of factors into consideration when you're deciding whether or not to take a position. I love that story, Acacia. And what I love the most about it is that it didn't cost anything. Right. It came <laughs> from the inside out. Yeah. And you made a conscious decision to just adjust your attitude and focus on the positive. And I love that. And I think that that is a helpful approach to life in general. And yeah. of course, so much of our life is spent on the job, but in everything you do, find the joy, find yes. the thing that's positive. So final time for coffee question, Acacia. Okay. If you could go back to college, back to the University of Arizona and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? (laughs) Don't work so hard. (laughs) That's probably bad advice. But I sincerely don't think I would work as hard. Like I said, I've always been a perfectionist. I always just care deeply about doing good work and pushing myself. And in undergrad, I really was very focused and very excited about design and really wanted to be good at it. And I think that's a great quality. But also design is one of those weird things where I really feel like I'm not doing anything vastly different than what I was doing in school now. The difference was I was paying for it then and I'm getting paid for it now. And in school, I built my skills. I, you know, I was able to build a portfolio that got me in some ways to where I am now. But I also didn't do things like study abroad or do any clubs or travel as much as I wanted or go outside as much as I wanted because I was pulling long nights trying to build my design skills. So going back to that point I was talking about earlier, just slowing down and being present with what you have now and 
really being intentional about the skills that you're building and the time you're putting into things and also making time for self-care and for the things outside of your major or your job. I think that's that's really important. So if I had it to do again, I would have probably studied abroad, maybe done design in a different country, see how they do it there. But I think I turned out pretty well, despite not having done that. (laughs) Yes, no. And the whole point of this question isn't to say somehow or another, we screwed up. But I think the truth is that with age comes wisdom and just perspective comes wisdom. And I think what you've just shared, hopefully Java junkies will take in those who are still in school and they'll take a deep breath and know that they're going to get a job. They're going to be able to build their career. But right now they're in school and to take advantage of all that the college experience has to offer. Yeah. And also recognizing that you have time. It's hard for us to remember, I think at any age that you have time, but particularly in college, it feels like I need to hurry up and learn all these things. I'm running out of time. I remember that feeling very distinctly. And just remembering that you do, you have time to build the skills. There's a lot you can't learn until you have the experience. So to just relax and do what you can and work hard and care about what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're going to be a graphic designer, then you're never going to stop learning. (laughs) Yes, that's absolutely true. So Acacia, I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I have so enjoyed learning about what you do, how you do it, and your career path. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. I'm so glad I got to be on the show and, and talk with you. I love this stuff and I could talk about it all day long. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.